Coming up this week on Breaking Badness, today we discuss LastPass on the left, a look at the recent LastPass breach from the CISO and practitioner perspective, and our fun new game, Gold, Guidance, and Grievances. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 144, recorded on January 5th, 2023. I'm your co-host, Tim, past the exploit on the left-hand side, Helming. With me, co-host Daniel, has trust issues, Schwalbe. And last but not least, Ian, are you the key master, Campbell? Welcome, y'all. Hey there. Happy New Year. Yeah, thank Indeed, you, thank you. Yeah. Happy to be here. Here we are in this 2023 that we somehow predicted was going to happen. It, it's here. So today, uh, as the intro suggests, it's a little bit different from a lot of our episodes of Breaking Badness. Um, we are going to focus entirely on something that I think a lot of folks in the InfoSec community maybe have either at the top of their list or close to the top of their list right about now, and that's the LastPass breach. Um uh, information was shared on December 22nd, and Daniel is our CISO and VP of Information Technology, so he's got that perspective on things. And then Ian is a security operations engineer, so we, uh, we're going to cover this the implications of this kind of breach from both the CISO and practitioner points of view today, and lots to discuss, um, and we have uh, a few things that I'm going to ask you guys about, and we can just kind of bat it around here. So to set the stage for uh, for anybody who might be unaware or maybe who heard about it but doesn't have all the details, let's quickly describe what happened. Daniel, you want to, uh, you want to set the stage for us and just give us an overview of this breach? Yeah. So uh, LastPass is uh, one of the very popular password managers. Uh, a vehicle for storing your passwords in what is ideally an encrypted fashion. Uh, a lot of them, you know, LastPass is not alone. There's other competitors that do similar things. Uh, and a lot of them uh, have a feature where you can store your ideally encrypted vault in the cloud so you can access it from whatever device uh, you've authorized uh, to do so. It's kind of handy. Certainly beats... Uh, Posted notes on your monitor because if you're not at your desk, then you can't read them. Uh, that's a joke, by the way. Uh, and also uh, gives you uh, the ability to, for example, access it on a mobile device uh, with proper authorization or your desktop. So, in general, the cloud based password manager sort of divides the masses. Some people say, no, it should only be stored locally in an encrypted fashion, only I have the key, etc. But then you're also giving up a little bit of convenience, which, of course, is the age-old uh, thing between security and convenience. Anyway, so LastPass uh, is one of those password managers. It's been around for quite some time. It was one of the early ones to enter that uh, market segment. And uh, they announced uh, over the summer that they uh, had a uh, breach, which, you know, breaches happen. Uh, it's just a matter of... Uh, uh, when, not if. And so uh, they released some information and said, yeah, intruders had uh, you know, compromised some of their uh, accounts and got in. But it wasn't until December that they released additional information where they disclosed that the intruder actually uh, was able to steal uh, offline copies of uh, user vaults or the what you would think would be fully encrypted blob of all of your passwords and the related information. Now, it turns out that what a lot of us were led to believe that absolutely everything in that blob was encrypted wasn't actually encrypted. And here we are. Sad trombone. It, it's frustrating because as security professionals, uh, we have, you know, sort of, uh, touted the um, use of password managers for a while now because... Uh, of course. It's I basically would say doctrine. Our, yes. Uh, I think if you're, if you're not still not using a password manager today, uh, 
you are putting yourself at greater risk. But of course, something like this does not help because it erodes trust in the thing that we've effectively said people should use. Um, I think overall, the use of a password manager, even with this sort of very unfortunate uh, development, is still much more important because all of them virtually allow you to generate complex, long passwords that are hard to brute force and difficult for humans to remember, but that's what the software does for you. So the general functionality of a password manager is still critical. And this, I hope nobody's takeaway from this is, oh, I'm just going to ditch password managers altogether because clearly they're not secure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and certainly, you know, there's probably some folks that are like, well, you know, today it's LastPass, tomorrow it's going to be one of the other ones, and because uh, everybody gets breached. But yeah, you know, as this thing unfolded, uh, you know, Ian, as we were getting ready to to do this show, you know, you you kind of gave us a convenient timeline of all of this, and it reminds me of, I assume everybody here, or or at least some of us, have seen. The original Star Wars movie, movie Episode Four: A New Hope, and if you have, you may remember that the first thing you see is this Star Destroyer, and there was a genius in making the Star Destroyer wedge-shaped because you first see it, and you're like, oh wow, that's that's pretty impressive, and then the wedge just keeps growing; it gets bigger and bigger in the screen. And you're like, wow, that, that's that's pretty big, <laughs> and then pretty soon you're going, holy smokes, that thing is enormous, and well, that that's felt like kind of how this has unrolled. It just kept kind of getting bigger and bigger and looking worse and worse. And so is it catastrophic? I mean, I think that's an interesting question to kick around. I don't personally, I don't know if I'd quite go to the catastrophic stage yet, but it um, it's not trivial, that's for sure. Ian, what are your thoughts? So I want to piggyback on uh, one thing Daniel said, was, which is that, Sooner or later, just about everybody's going to get breached. And we're not here to give any, anyone a hard time unnecessarily. But I think uh, in looking at this, the word isn't catastrophic so much as disappointing. And in some mm. senses, enraging. We're not um, mad. We're just disappointed. I guess you're just saying we're both. Yeah. Yeah, kind of both. Um, in the security sphere, we've been talking about the importance of metadata for years and decades. Um, and to see some of the decisions that LastPass made about uh, not securing a whole lot of that metadata and a whole lot of supplementary data, it, it ends up pretty enraging and um, mystifying as to some of their decisions. So I don't think it's catastrophic, but it certainly doesn't reflect well and the decisions they made have put a lot of people and a lot of organizations in um, specific crosshairs, uh, handing data to threat actors that can use it to uh, to craft spear fishes and other campaigns that uh, could be increasingly effective. Yeah, let, let's go into that a little bit because that is one of the things that we see as potentially one of the downstream effects of this is it's arming fishers, right? In some ways. So, so go, go into that a little more, uh, in a little more depth, if you don't mind, let's talk about how that might unfold. So one of the first things I thought after going over the, uh, the December 22nd, uh, announcement from last pass about the expanded nature of the breach was, Computation is expensive. It's expensive to try and brute force a bunch of vaults. But the um, master password for LastPass is the key to the hash to unlock all that. And it's a lot easier to uh, unlock someone's brain than it is uh, a partially encrypted vault. It's a lot easier to fool someone into uh, giving you the information. And what LastPass... Uh, was able to provide these threat actors included a whole lot of uh, ancillary information, including um, customer account information, uh, company names, usernames, billing addresses, email addresses, telephone numbers, and the IP addresses 
from which uh, users were accessing LastPass. This is all great info to line up spear phishing campaigns that'll provide these threat actors with uh, uh, master passwords so that they don't have to spend that um, uh, compute time cracking faults. Yeah, and, and when you think about how that could play out in a spear fish, I mean, I, I haven't specifically seen any stories that say this is happening, but you can easily imagine something relatively straightforward where an email comes in, this is from LastPass, and you should change your master password to be safe. So you follow this link, enter your old password, enter your new password. Cool. Um, and then Bob's your uncle, as they say. Um, you know, at that point, even if they didn't do what a lot of modern spear phishing does, which is pass the user along into the actual banking app or whatever it is, um, they've got the they've got the master password and uh, and they're potentially in there with the keys to the kingdom. So, you know, there's, yeah, there's a ton of ways. Or as you point out, the information that they get access to sets the stage for even non-LastPass related phishing attacks just because they have all of that additional information. So I'd like to chime in here. Uh, I agree with everything that's been said, but um, I want to go back to the you know mad or disappointed, and I I came down on this that I'm actually thoroughly disappointed uh, and less mad about this when the announcement first uh, came out. Uh, Ian and I, uh, even though we were both on uh, on leave, connected immediately. Uh, you know, Ian is on my security operations team here at Domain Tools. And so whenever a new wide-ranging uh, disclosure like this is made, we, we immediately uh, triage and talk about it. Because our users may be using, uh, or our, our coworkers may be using LastPass in their personal life. And we all know that a sophisticated attacker may easily try to uh, attack somebody's personal accounts and sphere to try to get after their uh, corporate uh, access. And so this is definitely a... Um, uh, something that we're we're tracking pretty closely. On a personal note, I've been a LastPass fan, used to be anyway, for quite some time. They've been around for about 15 years, so they were one of the early entrants to the game. And at a previous, previous employer, we evaluated um, the, the solution uh, at an enterprise level with, you know, thousands and thousands of users. And back then, I think... If, if I recall correctly, we did some uh, network intercepts you know, with an uh, SSL proxy to see what actually was getting uploaded to the LastPass servers from, from your uh, browser. And um, I, I would have to dig up my notes there somewhere deep in storage. But I am virtually convinced that at the time, it was a completely encrypted AES blob without any uh, fields. And I think... When they got acquired some uh, time ago, uh, this is when you start seeing changes happening. And I think one of the biggest giveaways in hindsight was when um, logos for websites started appearing in the vault. The only mm -hmm. way that could happen is if they had knowledge of what URLs are in your vault. So this whole zero knowledge thing that they've been promoting is questionable at best because if you truly have zero knowledge of anything, then how can you serve me uh, logos for websites in my in my vault? So that doesn't quite add up. Now, I'm sure by their definition of you know zero knowledge, whatever, there's some weasel ways you could get around that, but it that didn't sit well with me. But uh, to be to be clear, I didn't, on my end, cause enough uh, consternation to really dig into that further. I do remember taking note of it, and now in hindsight, I'm like, yep, that was that was probably the change. And you know, we're in the software business here, so we know how product management has influence on things, and you know, we want to make things more convenient for the user. And so it's a constant uh, battle. But at the same time, if your if your flagship product is security and holds the keys to the user's kingdoms, uh, you'd think they may make better, better choices. 
Yeah. Oh, those darn product managers, <laughs> says the longtime product manager. Yeah, when you uh, think about all the decisions that have to be made in preparing a product like that, it, it's immensely complicated um, and with uh, immensely high stakes. And so, you know, I certainly have empathy for folks that are working at LastPass right now and um, in the middle of uh, this huge storm uh, whose quali- uh, adjective I can't use on a family podcast but um, uh, dumpster fire there, we'll put it that way. And it's going to be a while before we really see, before this fully plays out. I mean, well, potentially years before it fully plays out. Um, but even before we really get a good sense of the some of the repercussions and downstream things, I think it's going to be a while. Yeah, I think this is an important reminder Um as a matter of fact, I wrote about this like six years ago on Dark Reading, and it still holds true today. Uh, when you're in the middle of a of a data breach, um, it's it's very easy to point fingers and you know throw stones. But when you're in the middle, and over my career, I've investigated some gnarly breaches. Uh, it's not fun, and the people who are directly in the middle of it, because it was maybe a system that they were responsible for that was popped, etc. Um, the last thing they want is, you know, have the finger wagged at them or getting yelled at. Uh, so some compassion uh, to the folks who are immediately dealing with a breach, uh, I think, is absolutely warranted. Now, yeah. in the long run, when you have all of the final results of what happened and how did it happen, if it turned out there was some gross negligence involved or people were cutting corners or whatnot, that should be dealt with, but not absolutely. at the time of the breach that is counterproductive and actually just causes people to want to hide things more rather than being open and cooperative in the investigation. Well, and see, you know, you see, this is why Daniel and I work together because on uh, different days, he and I actually trade off who's going to be the compassionate one that day or who's going to be the angry one that day versus who's going to be full of uh, light and sweetness. Um, over the past couple of years, I, I've had times to do deep dives on LastPass and evaluating it and evaluating the architecture. And when you do that, you see the results of some of the decisions made. And so I'm going to end up in the uh, in the more angry and less compassionate role. And I'll, I'll leave Daniel to be the nice guy today, because what you see with LastPass at this point is they've uh, they've made clear decisions to decrease user friction as much as possible, which is a valid decision in a lot of places, and it makes sense, especially for consumer uh, consumer applications. But there's always a trade-off to that. The less friction is there, the more surface area is attackable. And I think looking at how LastPass works and the user experience with it uh, shows us that they uh, decided at some point and uh, moved from there that uh, decreasing user friction should be their operating principle rather than uh, the best uh, applied security possible. And you know, folks who are, even folks who are relatively security savvy, I think can be forgiven for uh, for these 15 years, you know, LastPass had a pretty good reputation. So for for making the assumption or at least carrying a, a reasonable measure of hope that uh, LastPass has things really buttoned down from a security perspective and therefore with all of that ease of use that they've introduced, it's kind of the best of both worlds. Um, and, you know, I've been a LastPass user. Uh, I've, I had made that um, estimation myself in the past, you know, and said, hey, this is, they seem to have their act together security-wise, and they seem to be, if not the easiest to use, among the easiest to use. So um, I'm going to go with them. And so, uh, you know, we're all, we're all kind of, confronting if we have or do use LastPass, kind of confronting what, what what happens next. So I think we should maybe segue into forward looking a little bit. And 
what what our guidance should be or what guidance we're observing out there um, maybe is an interesting thing to talk about. So, for example, you know, Wired had an article where they were saying security pros are calling for users to switch to other services. And I think on the face of it, that makes a lot of sense. But when you dig a little deeper, there are a lot of implications to that. And so I don't know, what do you guys think? I mean, is that is that advice too hasty? Is it good advice? What what do you recommend? And, and especially, you know, we probably have a fair number of listeners, I'm guessing, who are LastPass users because it is a really popular password vault. So, you know, what's what's the recommendation here? Yeah, I think the the first and foremost uh, advice I would have is, you know, don't panic, don't make ha- hasty decisions. Uh, this is qualified somewhat by the fact if you used a weak master password, you know, weak by some definition of password entropy, you probably have bigger things to worry about. Um, as Ian pointed out, it's you know cheaper to fish somebody and try to get their credentials rather than try to brute force a password. Um, but if the password is sufficiently weak, then that may um, certainly... change the calculus a bit. Absolutely, and but a, not a only lot of that. Like the the payoff for a successful brute force here is potentially bigger than that payoff might be in other cases. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, the the thing with uh, uh, brute forcing uh, the password vaults is uh, one of the mitigating controls that LastPass and all the other passwords manager has is in order to be able to log in and access your vaults. There were things like you could set GOIP restrictions, like no login with an IP is not from you know country X, etc. Those are all gone with the vaults being stolen. So people may have said, well, my master password isn't you know that strong because I want to easily be able to remember it, but I have it locked down where I can only access my vault from certain IP addresses or just from this particular phone, etc. Again, mitigating controls and security is really all about layers. But again, all of those are out the window because they have copies of the vaults without any of these mitigations being able to be applied. So if you pick the master password, if you're a LastPass user and you pick the master password that um, was maybe easy to remember and not quite on the high entropy side because you relied on mitigating controls such as where you can log in from and you know, lock it down to only your phone and your IP address, uh, those are all out the windows now with the um, stolen vaults. So if you think that your master password may not necessarily have been the strongest, that would definitely cause me to make a move. And changing your master password now, again, isn't all that effective against the breach because the vaults that have been stolen are encrypted with using the master passwords that you set at the time. So changing it today is not a bad idea, but it does not protect against uh, trying to brute force uh, the vaults offline. So then really the next step is you got to get into your password manager and look at the entries that you have and ideally change every single password in there. It's a huge pain in the rear. I get that. But that's sort of the bargain we had to make with you know, handing our, our passwords into a single place that we believe to be strongly protected. That's kind of questionable now. And so any password that you have stored in your vault that predates uh, the you know theft of uh, August of 2022, give or take, uh, those uh, passwords are all questionable at this point if the vaults do get uh, cracked. So might be a good time to set aside some time this weekend and at the very least change some of the critical passwords, you know, financial stuff, retirement, online banking, the, the big targets. Uh, and that's going to be a lot of work, but if you think your master password wasn't sufficiently strong enough, uh, I would strongly suggest uh, considering that. I want to tack on some guidance there that's uh, irrespective of strength or weakness of your master password and irrespective of what password manager you use. I want to suggest that people go into their password manager and look at the entries there. Log into each account and if two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication isn't enabled, enable it. Do that for every account you can. It's an incredibly strong mitigation 
against not only stuff like this, but phishing and uh, uh, other attacks. So it's it, it can the uh, process of doing it for every entry in your password manager is going to be a little uh, laborious, just like changing the passwords. But it's a lot less labor than dealing with breached accounts. That's for sure. Um, anything else from the uh, from the guidance perspective? And by the way, I'm, this is foreshadowing a little bit, except the intro already talked about it. We are going to have our gold guidance and grievances section of the show at the end. So uh, this is guidance specifically about um, the last pass and maybe password managers in general. And then we might have other guidance on other topics coming up a little later on. Who knows? But anything else uh, that you guys want to cover on this? I think what you're saying um, is something that I hope people are going to take seriously and uh, and spend that little bit of time on because or maybe it may not be a little bit of time, which is the crappy thing about it. But as you said, it's uh, uh, Ian, it's a whole lot easier than dealing with the aftermath of actually getting popped. I think uh, the other piece of uh, guidance I'd give is uh, evaluating how you create passwords. Um, if you have a password manager, obviously there's there's usually a powerful creation engine inside there. It's usually configurable for multiple reasons. Understanding current uh, NIST guidelines and uh, other guidelines on password security is pretty important. And really what, what, the, uh, what the lesson seems to be is that length trumps complexity. Um, so I, I'd encourage everybody to, to look at the passwords, look at how they create them, look at what goes into them, and make sure they're sufficiently long as well as employing some of those uh, complex special characters, numbers, symbols, etc. Correct horse battery staple. And now I have your Amazon account. <laughs> well, you don't have mine, but you might have someone's. <laughs> yeah, I think it's safe to say that um, that's probably not any of... Uh, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name, the creator of XKCD. Randall, Randall, that's not any of his, uh, his passwords. So going back, by the way, when, you know, when we talk about whether we're going to find out that there was gross negligence or anything like that, and, and just find out more about how this occurred, I will note that as of two days ago, as of the day we're recording this, the first of, I would presume more than one, uh, class action suit, uh, was filed in the district court of, uh, District of Massachusetts. So uh, we're going to hear about that, um, certainly. Uh, and, you know, I am not a legal expert, so I don't know whether there are likely to be multiple class actions or whether people will join this class. I think that the way it works, I believe, is that um, there can be multiple and some class ultimately gets joined by enough folks that uh, that's kind of the one that that is um, is pursued. But uh lawyers uh, or legal adjacent folks are welcome to chime in on our uh, comments and let me know if that's uh, off base. I mean, this is America and we are a litigious country. So I think class action was inevitable. And sometimes they have the ability to force uh, action and uh, consider, uh, you know, reconsider their, their methods, the company who's being sued. I also would not be surprised if this was going to bubble up to some sort of FTC action like we've seen in recent times where uh, there's actually going to be, you know, action at the federal level, maybe in the form of a consent decree or you know, some sort of uh, sanctions on the business, uh, especially if it turns out uh, once the investigation is, is fully out there that there was some kind of negligence involved. Um, this is a business that focuses on the end user and that's when uh, consumer protection and uh, you know, Federal Trade Commission, et cetera, really has started paying attention in the last couple of years. And we've seen some uh, big enforcement actions with fines and consent decrees come down. So I would not be surprised if they would at least uh, uh, investigate this. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to, to watch both the FTC, since Lena Khan tends to be uh, more active than not, 
Um, and to be honest, most of uh, most of what she does, I applaud from here. Um, the other place to watch is probably Ron, uh, Senator Ron Wyden's office, given how technically proficient they are and how involved they are in the technical environment. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, they've been uh, quite active in matters of security and privacy online. So Graham Cluley, who uh, hosts the Smashing Security podcast, which if you're going to listen to another uh, InfoSec podcast, you could do a whole lot worse than to check out that one. And he's a friend of Breaking Badness. Uh, he noted on his blog a couple of days ago, when a company says it has, quote, seen no evidence of anything bad happening, well, that's not necessarily the same thing as saying, uh, quote, nothing bad happened. So what do you guys think? Uh, you know, is there um, is there more? Well, first of all, there's there's two ways that I can ask that question. First of all, <laughs> you know, uh, what do you think about that as a statement? And then second of all, when you really, when a security team, if we think about this more broadly, right now it's the security and IR folks, et cetera, at LastPass, but all of us that are on security teams, if you don't find uh, evidence that anything bad happened, are you done or uh, are you just getting started? So having... Uh been on IR teams and, and worked on some pretty gnarly breaches, uh, this is a lawyer statement. I, I've been in the room where it was findings were presented and discussion about what public statements should be made and by whom. You know, ideally, you have a crisis communication plan in place so you don't actually have to sort that out in the moment. But even if you do, chances are some kind of legal counsel will be involved and will very strongly influence what will be said publicly. It's sometimes painfully wordsmith because their, the lawyer's uh, role is here to limit further potential damage or claims of responsibility uh, and therefore exposing the business to liability. And it's often very frustrating for the incident responder, the incident manager, when you really want to release, you know, more details so people can act accordingly and the lawyers are like no you cannot say this uh, so having been in those rooms this statement reads like this was you know vetted by legal seven ways from sunday and that's the best they could say so i'm gonna agree and disagree with daniel i, I as soon as a statement comes out like uh no evidence of uh this or that i know a lawyer's involved the thing I disagree uh, about, and uh, granted, da Daniel uh, didn't say this straight out, is that statements like that decrease liability. I think lawyers who insist on statements like that create major liabilities for a company in terms of trust. I think as soon as something like that comes out, there's a, a much higher chance of the business losing the trust of users, practitioners, everybody involved. And that's because a it's lot. a form of expectation setting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's and, something that's much harder to quantify, right? So how much oh, business did you lose as a result of this? Whereas you get sued because you said a certain thing and now it's a hundred million dollar you know, judgment against you. I think that's kind of where this is coming from, unfortunately. But I agree with you. It's the trust part is often underestimated and hard to quantify, but it has a real impact. So as people deep in the heart of not Texas, but security practice. What do you guys think that LastPass needs to do in order to regain trust? I think that's probably a pretty long road, but what does that roadmap look like? What are some of the things you would want to see um, if you were to decide, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good with them at this point. Uh, that's a, that's a good question, but also a tricky one. I, I don't know what it would take for me to trust him again because this is a series of bad choices that have arrived at the inevitable. Uh, and it's, like I said earlier, disappointing more than anything. Um, I think maybe uh, giving users tools to make uh, changes to the password vault a little bit uh, more straightforward, uh, but of course those take time to develop and it's not something you want to crank out overnight. Uh, also, you know, if, if I were them and 
I am in a position where, you know, essentially you have to fight for survival because people might be jumping ship left and right. Uh, maybe uh, adopt the, you know, the old Miracle on 34th Street Macy's uh, rules like, oh, if we don't have it, go over there. Make it easier for users to move away. That may seem counterproductive, but it could buy a uh, a lot of goodwill of saying like, hey, we, we know we screwed up. We're very sorry. And if we can't keep you as a customer, let us at least, you know, make sure that wherever you land, uh, you land there with as little friction as possible. Uh, it's probably not going to fly because, you know, whoever's, you know, making those kinds of calls here, like, are you crazy? You're going to just make it easier for people to go away and they stop paying us money. But I think in terms of a... Um, like regaining trust and goodwill with the general public and a security pr uh, practitioner, something like that would go a long way, even though it's unlikely to happen. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And um, yeah, I think it could, uh, um, I think it could help reestablish a lot of trust. And I think that sometimes when you, and of course I'm not going to be able to come up with a direct example of this right now, but um, this does sometimes actually pay off in the long run because of the it could, because of the integrity that it shows from the, um, the the person that's doing it or the company that's doing it um, good well I think uh, at this point we should get ready to move on to gold guidance and grievances but anything else that either of you wants to say about this before we do that I think what I'd like to see from them and the only thing I'd like to see from them, is a much more detailed report. Obviously, we're not going to get the uh, DFIR company report. There's a lot of stuff on infrastructure that uh, would still be sensitive. But we need much more information than they put out. Um, if you look at the statements and the timeline of the statements, um, the, the uh, statement put out on December 22nd had more information in it but it was the result of the November 30th update that had no details, no time frame, doesn't allow practitioners and people uh, seeking to protect themselves and others to know when this information was actually accessed, how it was accessed, how long it's been in the, the hands of the threat actors. It could have been a result of the uh, um, mid-August initial breach. It could have been... Uh, after the September 15th announcement, they need to be much more transparent uh, about the timelines and the details. And unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be forthcoming. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not sure that's likely to change at this point. Maybe it will, but um, I'd be a bit surprised. All right. Thank you so much for a great discussion about that. Again, something that I think is really top of mind for a lot of folks listening to this podcast and a lot of folks beyond that. So Daniel and Ian... We are going to shift into the next section. You know, for, for folks who've been listening to Breaking Badness for a long time, you know that traditionally the game that we play is Two Truths and a Lie, and that hasn't gone away for good. But we have introduced our new game, Gold Guidance and Grievances, which uh, probably that name kind of gives you a sense of what it's about. But we will each uh, give you one little nugget of gold that we've been thinking about recently. It could be security related. It doesn't have to be. Um, one piece of guidance or advice uh, and one grievance. And so, um, gentlemen, are you ready with your gold guidance and grievances? Especially the grievances, but yeah. Oh, all right. Ian, go for it, man. I can't wait to hear. <laughs> all right. For, for my gold... Um, it's it's going to seem unconnected, but um, I saw a Twitter story from someone the past week who was rehabilitating a uh, fixer-upper house. And Wait, Twitter, what's that? <laughs> well, the fun part is I saw it on Mastodon. Ah. Um, <laughs> so a couple people uh, rehabbing a uh, fixer-upper house dealing with a massive leak. And they learned that every time an upstairs toilet was flushed, it flooded the area and it was the cause of the leak. So they sent someone upstairs to look at the toilet. Guy uh, pops open the toilet tank, shouts down to the other person, there's an engine in the toilet. Of course, the person downstairs was like, there's an engine in the toilet. 
what are you talking about? Goes upstairs, and sure enough, along with a photo in the actual uh, in the actual tweet, there was a engine inexplicably in the tank of the toilet. So I, I've decided anytime I come upon an engineering or uh, security or other technical decision or artifact that completely confounds me, I'm going to say there's an engine in the toilet. That is beautiful and deeply intriguing. So I'm going to get, did you boost this on your Mastodon? Cause I got to go find it. I'll, I'll dig up the link and uh, we'll, uh, we'll make sure. We'll put it, it in the else. show notes. Yeah. All right. Good. Cool. How about guidance? Um, for guidance, uh, again, this goes back to uh, uh, something on social media because I'm far too extremely online and cannot self-regulate about it. Um, uh, a pal of mine on Mastodon, Blue Team Sherpa, was given the opportunity to uh, give a security talk to a very prestigious uh, group of uh, non-security people. And uh, Blue Team Sherpa was looking for uh, advice on uh, other things to add that uh, he may not think of. My uh, suggestion there was to add humility into the presentation. Always build humility into your threat profile. So uh, uh, you can't know everything. And you can't know everything that you can't know. So whenever you're assessing what your threat profile is and how you want to build your actions around it, build that humility in there so that you're not completely surprised by something you end up not knowing. I love that. That's great. I'm going to find that thread and I, I will give a plus one on Blue Team Sherpa as a great follow. And Absolutely. all right, you said you had grievances, uh, at least one. <laughs> ready to go. I mean, that, like that's half of the show that we, we've already done so far, at least. But uh, fire away. My big gripe lately is how expensive privacy is. Uh, I, I approach privacy as a human right that everyone is entitled to. And I've started practicing it more myself, um, uh, seeing what data trails I have, seeing what the services I connect with are leaking about me or storing about me and seeing what I can do to take control of that. And uh, every time I look at uh, options, there are options that will serve better, but unless I wanna do a bunch of self-hosting and spend all my time administrating micros, uh, Linux micro, uh, microservices uh, within my own apartment, then I need to pay hundreds of dollars for this or that or uh, other service. So it's, it's no surprise to anyone, but my gripe is uh, that privacy is way too expensive. And, we and it's all... not just dollars, it's time. Oh, absolutely. Which, of yeah. course, time is money. So, uh, yeah, yeah, really good point. Well, those are great, um, Ian and uh, Daniel. It's your turn. Yeah, so for gold, you know, normally I would try to make this topical, but uh, I'm going to take... Uh, uh, some guidance there from Ian. Um, we did a lot of travel over the holidays. Uh, you know, I, I think most of us here on this call do a lot of travel for work-related things all year long. And so some people might be like, it's the last thing you want to do is travel more for the holidays. But you know, sometimes that's unavoidable. But this time was actually a, a trip we'd been uh, wanting to make for a long time and just made it happen. I... So we, we, we traveled, you know, obviously around the Christmas holidays. We, one flight was on December 24th, uh, and I was really heartened by, even in the stress of how everybody, you know, travel stresses people out, and uh, air travel specifically, you got to be there early, and then things don't work out, and this and that and the other. I was really heartened how kind everybody was, even like we flew a couple of uh, budget carriers to get from A to B within Europe. And, you know, you would think that, you know, people are even more grumpy because, you know, they have to pay for their bag of peanuts or whatnot or don't get to bring on their carry-on. But even under those circumstances, the, the, the amount of kindness that I saw um, was, was very heartening amongst passengers and people that didn't know each other, you know, helping each other out get the... the uh, uh, luggage from the from the compartment up above 
So uh, that was kind of nice to see. And we, we also, I'm pretty sure I, I spent all my travel karma for the upcoming year because we had no delays, no cancellations, no uh, missed connections. So from that, I feel uh, very lucky and very happy. And considering I was with my family, I'm, I'm glad that panned out if I'm out there on the road traveling for work. If there's some uh, uh, additional delays or whatever that I'm going to incur, that's less of an issue. <laughs> Yeah, there you have it, folks. Air travel is easy and fun. <laughs> you <laughs> heard it no here. <laughs> I know. No, you know, it's funny, Daniel. I was just thinking about that over the last few days, too. My sister had a very contrasting experience to you where she was delayed almost a week um, doing her travel over the holidays and uh, compound that with um, an airline where she has very high status being absolutely incommunicado about what was going to happen next after flight got canceled and not so well-behaved passengers once she finally did travel. But, um, but I got to say, I felt like I'm in a little bubble because my experiences have been somewhat similar to yours. Like things have by and large been pretty smooth. I didn't travel over this holiday that we just had, but not that long before it, um, for work stuff and, um, everything went pretty smooth. So I guess your mileage may really vary. All right, what you got for guidance? Uh, guidance I'm going to make more topical. Please don't stop using password managers. If you aren't using a password manager, pick one. Maybe not LastPass. That's your up to you. But having one, using one, better than not. Uh, and then my associated grievances. What's it with still limiting the length of passwords for certain online uh, accounts like are you kidding me i mean i get you maybe don't want to hash 256 characters but limiting me to 10 or 12 characters in yeah. 2023 stop it already stop oh, it. no kidding just well, along the same with like sending uh 2fa codes over sms how about Both the ones that, that not only do that but that also don't tell you the password rules so they just tell you nope that one didn't qualify against the rules try again somebody I actually dealt like, with that yesterday uh, oh. In the process of uh, renting a new place, and they use a uh, what looks like a popular rental platform, and it uh, arbitrarily limited the uh, password length without actually saying it was limiting the password length. So it told me that I didn't have uh, sufficient uh, special characters in the password, despite uh, the fact that I did. So I was able to figure out that it was only pulling literally 12 characters of the 36 character password I was trying to input. Nice. All right. Well, uh, I will go last. And the gold that I have is, is a small nugget of gold, but it made me smile. And I saw this on Mastodon also from an account, uh, Jeff Moss or the dark tangent, uh, defcon.social. And what he posted was uh, he had worked at ICANN years ago and he had these pictures from ICANN of early networking and internet uh, topologies that were up on the wall at their main office. And it's so fun to look at that. Uh, like one of them appears to be from, it's the ARPA network, September 1969. And so if you're a geek about the development of the internet, as a technology stack, uh, it's really fun to look at that. So a small bit of gold, but there it is. My guidance, get familiar with AI in 2023. If you have had only a sort of armchair acquaintance with uh, what's going on in the AI world, and I will admit that was me, um, it's time to really start to get pretty boned up and pretty savvy about um, the implications of some of the, not only the AI technologies, but the interfaces, the simple interfaces to them. Of course, one of them that we've talked about is uh, recently is ChatGPT. Everybody's talking about that. The Lenza AI one is another one um, with the uh, very appropriate question of uh, how many different technologies are we all going to say yes to when they ask us for lots of pictures of our face? Because what could go wrong with that, right? Um, and my grievance is just the latest in a series of these things. It's also in the privacy realm. We heard about Adobe and how uh, photos uh, in their cloud were being uh, used without the user's permission in training of uh, machine learning uh, algorithms. And so, you know, I've always been kind of 
heavy tinfoil hat about assuming that anything that's not only knowingly in the cloud, but that's on my, like my mobile devices is probably sitting in the cloud somewhere, even if I didn't ask for that. And uh, so it's only a matter of time before that gets used for who knows what. We saw a, um, a terrible misuse of facial recognition in this story at Madison Square Garden, where they wouldn't uh, admit this lawyer into it. And, and a, I guess it's the entire law firm, it turns out, but she's the one that made the news. Um, yeah, they're, they're banned from their properties because of a lawsuit that's ongoing. And um, I fear that that's just the tip of the iceberg of how we're going to see uh, abuse of facial recognition. So yeah, um, my grievance is not specifically about the AI aspect of that, but about the misuse of our uh, our data. Yeah, 100% agree on that. That's a good one, Tim. Well, there you have it, folks. Gold guidance and grievances um, for January 5th, 2023, the special last pass edition of Breaking Badness. So, Daniel and Ian, thanks so much for uh, for joining. This has been a really fun episode to do. And, uh, you know, you guys are regulars on the show, so I'm sure it won't be long before we're talking again on this podcast. But uh, yeah, any any parting thoughts before we say goodbye this week? It's a new year, new challenges, but hopefully uh, 2023 will be good to all of us. How's that for platitude? <laughs> I'm fine with that one. Excellent. Glad to be here as always and uh, glad to be talking to you both. Likewise, likewise. All right. Well, that wraps it. And we will see everybody on the next episode of Breaking Badness. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>